Romans 8. We're going to finish it today, church, this portion down to verse 39. I know what you're thinking. We are going to finish it. (laughs) Chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. I'll pick it up in verse 31. You guys are experts in this uh, portion of scripture. Um, If you'd you'd, uh, pick it up in verse 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. How can you be more than a conqueror? (laughs) You're going to find out. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. You ought to include yourself in that, thank God. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. We've taken an unusual approach to this now, our fourth and final installment of this section of the book of Romans. I say unusual because Romans chapter 8 is not known as a chapter that would relate to biblical eschatology. Uh, Eschatology is a biblical science. It's a discipline, meaning the theology of future events. And yet when you read Romans 8, you cannot escape the fact that it is speaking about your future as a believer, both now and forever, in eternity. And I would never approach this portion of scripture. Listen, I did the book of Romans um, with you all, (laughs) for the few of us that were around, I think back in the uh, early or mid nineties. And um, I definitely did not approach the book of Romans chapter eight with this type of a theme. And we are some nearly 30 years now beyond that first time through the book of Romans. And we're 30 years closer to meeting Jesus Christ, which makes this a prophetic portion of scripture, if you keep that in mind. So we're talking about, we're asking the question, what are you going to do about Bible prophecy? What are you going to do about your future? And where are you going to land in Bible prophecy? You're all going to land somewhere. You're going to land in eternity, according to the Bible. That this moment in life is a very brief moment that the Bible says is but a vapor when compared to eternity. We've had times in our lives where uh, we've judged time and we've been wrong. You know, like uh, we're shocked to find out, wait, what time is it? When something goes by so fast or something, uh, it feels like we've been involved in something forever and only an hour has gone by. And we're like, really? We've had those moments of like a time warp reality. Well, think for a moment. You think this life is so long? Maybe it is long if you look at it through human or earthly eyes only, but know this, every single one of us, believer or not, will someday after this life is lived, have or receive 
eternal eyes in an eternal realm, a forever world, with Christ or without Christ. With him is called heaven, and without him it's called hell. And uh, it's real. Hell is as real as heaven is. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. We saw many weeks ago now, we saw this in verses 31 to 32. We saw that there's the fact of our glorification that's coming. That our lives as a believer, how many of you are Christians this morning? Raise your hands. Man, I, I got to tell you, this is the worst, today is the worst it's going to get for us as believers. <laughs> you say, well, what if I get cancer next month or get hit by a truck? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Listen, in this world, this is as bad as it gets for us. For those of you who, I hope you're not here. Well, maybe I do hope you're here. Doesn't matter. If you don't have Jesus, this is the best it's ever going to be for you. So enjoy it. If you die in this life without Christ, this is the best life you'll ever experience right here, right now. But I just, for the record, want you to know that God wants you with him, with us in heaven forever. And, and that all ends with the beginning. And that beginning is eternal and it is the final glorification of the follower of Christ. That is, God suits us up and we forever in heaven have the nature of Christ. We'll never be tempted to sin. We will not be able to sin because we'll have his nature. We will be as he is then in eternity forever as his children. What an awesome thing that will be. And then secondly, we saw last time that the fact is our defense is in the hands of God. God is our defense. We saw that that's true because verse 33, we learned about his innocence is our innocence. He's imparted that to us. We learned also that his death is our death. That when Christ died on the, listen up. When Christ died on the cross, God appoints our lives as it were that we died on the cross the same time Christ did. But listen, we didn't die for our sins. He died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. But when Christ died, he was our representative. He was our propitiation is the the legal term where he died to pay my debt. Are you still paying your mortgage? Imagine right now if somebody showed up on your door and said, what's left on your mortgage? And they pay it off and not only pay it off, but they, they, they take care of your home, mow, lawn, paint, roof, take care of it all. You say, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it would be awesome. But what Jesus does at the cross is impossible for any man to do. Nobody can show up and write off your sin. Jesus did it at the cross by paying for it. It's not that he canceled it. It is true, he canceled it. But how did he cancel it? He didn't say, it's canceled. He gave his blood. God, who is holy, had to meet the demands of the law, and he did it with his own blood at the cross. So think about this. Listen up. This is going to be an amazing. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. But, but in theological terms, it is pure theology. It's just rarely ever said. You know that the Bible says that Jesus is the great mediator between God and man. You know that? That means that Jesus Christ represents God in his holiness and man in his lostness. You say, well, how? I thought Jesus was perfect. He was and is perfect. But when Christ represents us in our lostness, he is our representative on earth when he lived here 33 and a quarter years. And when he went to the cross, it's as though he pulled two worlds together at the cross. 
And theologically speaking, it means this. Jesus Christ died for man. Jesus Christ died for God. Hear me out. Jesus Christ died for God, meaning this, that Jesus Christ died to fulfill and to empower all the promises of God's word. Think about it. God's word is awesome, but why is it awesome? Because it's God's word. Yes, but what does his word say? That he would send his only son into the world to die for our sins. And that is a new and Old Testament doctrine. He died, listen, for us in our place, yes, but he died to bring about the promises of God. So without the death of Christ, you don't have the promises of God's word fulfilled. Does that make sense? And of course, he died for us because though he knew no sin, he became sin for us on the cross. God just heaped on him. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit laid all the judgment of our sin upon Jesus. And for that reason, we have been recipients of his innocence and of the fact that he died on the cross. We identify ourselves having died with Christ, the Bible says. In verse 34, it says there, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. That means you're coated, as it were, with a spiritual Teflon because you belong to Christ. And now we walk with him. I heard a story the other day, and I have to to tell you this story about this reality we're talking about right now in this portion of scripture, that there was a little, this kid at school is getting beat up and thumped up. All the bullies are beating up on you. So I thought bullying was illegal. You can't make bullying illegal. You understand that? You'd have to change the human heart. Bullying is always going to be around. It's in the human nature. You want to fix bullying? Come to Christ and he'll give you a new heart. And this little kid was being bullied. And this one big kid, Christian young man in junior high saw this taking place and he went over and one of the guys that were bullying on, the, on this little guy, he went over there and grabbed the guy by the neck. And that, that had to be a beautiful sight. I'm just saying, right, that just sounds beautiful. This kid, moved by compassion, went over and grabbed this other bully by the neck and said, leave him alone. Well, the whole school heard that. And by the end of class, everybody had rumored it around. Did you know that Phil went and grabbed Mike, uh, Bob and t- rescued uh, little Jerry there and And so from that moment on, from that moment on, it was said that that little guy walked in the shadow, in the shadow of his rescuer. And, you know, everybody looked at little guy, you little creep, you know, we're going to get you first chance you get. Well, that little kid just decided, well, I can't take on all these guys myself. So I'm just going to stay in the shadow of my defender, of my protector. Hey, there's a story there for us Christians. The world would eat you alive if it could. Just stay in the shadow, walk in the shadow of Christ, walk with him and you'll be safe. God will defend you. And we talked about that. And here we pick it up right now. Verse 34 at the latter end, we learn this. His life is now our life, his life. And furthermore, it is also, uh, he's also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And we learn this, that Christ is actually speaking to the father on your behalf and on my behalf. How is that true? How can that be true for us? This very fact sets Jesus Christ, among so many others, I would say infinitely so, apart from all other religious leaders of all time. And that is the literal foundational fact that Christianity is based upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And it's Jesus having not only been buried, but resurrected from the dead. The fact that Jesus Christ lives and is alive is proof positive that eternal life is available to you if you want it. And if you want it, you need to go to the one who gives it. Listen, if you want it, you got to accept it from the one who bought it. That means if you want it, you don't come to him with your own story made up or your, or your way of doing it. For many of us as Christians, we would all give testimony to you of the time in our Christian lives where we came to the end of ourselves. It's a bloody, brutal moment when you can't fix it. It's bigger than you. You feel like you're being crushed. And all of a sudden, what you've believed in your head is finally knocked down 18 inches into the reality of your heart. And God takes control. And, and it's that beautiful moment of surrendering. And uh, there's nothing like it when God's life begins to dominate and take over your life. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, starting there, the Bible says, For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Paul was answering the arguments that were going on there in Greece. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and if we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. That is, they've gone to hell. If in this life, listen, only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. What a statement. Paul is so boldly there saying, hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. It's lame. In fact, you know, you know the, the saying, we would then counter with eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. So he's really taking it on. He's telling them, if Christ isn't risen, then everybody who we thought had been born again, they're lost. And by the way, your faith is absolutely not only worthless, but your life itself, people should look at you and say, what a pity. What a dumb, dumb guy. And then he just simply answers that huge argument, but Christ is risen. What a great, he just drops the microphone. (laughs) Boom, Christ is risen from the dead. What a glorious statement. What a glorious reality that is. And for this purpose, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And here's what's so precious to me, that he would bring all those who trust in him into a right relationship with God the Father by virtue of his cross. Say, Jack, why why is the cross so important? I'm going to show you right now. Revelation chapter one. Write it down, please. This is why it's important. So I want you, you I'll read it here, but listen. Uh, Brahma, Buddha, Muhammad, uh, Moses, for that matter. Let's throw Moses in there. You might say, well, I I just follow Moses. Okay, let's put Moses in there. You can put Peter in there. Paul. You can put Peter, Paul, and Mary in there. You name it. Uh, Joseph Smith, put him in there. Charles Russell, put him in. Mary Baker Eddy, put her in. Put them all in. Watch this. 
This is what none of them have ever done, nor can they. John says, and when I saw him, when he saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. This is John seeing in heaven, the revelation. He says, listen, I am the first and the last. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not know your Bibles, that's from the book of Isaiah. And it is the name of God. If people tell you Jesus never claimed to be God, they have never read their Bibles. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I listen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Chapter two, verse eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is the Jesus Christ of the Bible, the son of God who dies and is resurrected from the dead, who now communicates to us, follow me, listen to me, because I've gone to the grave, I've gone to the depths and I've been resurrected from the dead and I give unto you eternal life. I'll wash away your sins. Stop doing it yourself. You can't do it. It's almost like, listen, it's almost like you're washing your hands in blood. It's a basin of blood and you're washing your hands to be rid of the blood, but the basin is full of blood. Does that make sense? Christ takes care of all of that. Based upon God's foreknowledge, we learned that we who have been foreordained, we, his called out ones, He has justified by faith in him. We who by him have been glorified and that now at present, he is at work within us, transforming us more and more into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, the work of God. John 14, verse six, John 14, verse six. I got to tell you, John, we're going to go from John 14 to John 16. I'm going to try to keep control of myself. I mean this. I, I lose it over the passage I'm, I'm going to read to you. I got to tell you because I'm te- I know me. And I know how powerless I am. I was, I, I, I felt so silly Thursday night. I mean, I mean this is just between us. Don't. I felt so silly Thursday night because, um, I told you that Trump spoke at that gathering and um, and I, I, I it's a strange experience. I felt like a mouse because as he was introducing people and saying hi to the crowd and stuff, uh, he, he acknowledged me and he said, Pastor Jack Hibbs and wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. So I just want you to know, I felt like a little mouse. <laughs> for, for this reason, is that there's nothing that you and I are doing in this life that we're doing it to be recognized for. And if you ever get recognized for something, it is in that second that you realize, I'm, a, I'm just a worm, okay? And you know, if anything has come from your life that has made a difference, you know it wasn't you. And so when somebody says something nice, that's nice. That's all I take it as. That's nice. (laughs) But it can't go any deeper than that. 
Because it's God. It's all him. Where would you and I be without Jesus right now this morning? Where would we be? Think about it. Think about the life that you were living before Christ transformed your life. I would have been dead by now. No doubt about it. So John 14, listen to this. John 14, beginning in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. You hear that? The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. This is Jesus speaking. For he dwells with you and shall be in you or will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Those are the words of Jesus. These words are radical. We're in a classroom right now. You happen to be in church on a Sunday, but I look at it as a classroom. This is our seminary course right here, right now. Let me tell you something right now. The son of God was authorized to purchase not only your redemption, but to qualify you to receive the Holy Spirit's indwelling power, who by Christ's work at the cross, the Holy Spirit has been dispatched into your life. What does that mean? It means it's the Holy Spirit's job to get you all the way through this gauntlet, gauntlet course of running up, down, through the hole, through the tunnel, jump over that burning house, leap through, swim across this, climb that mountain, go through that valley kind of a life to get you through the end. You'll never make it without him. The moment you realize, I can't make it, I, Pastor Jack, I cannot face tomorrow. That's right, you cannot, nor can I. But listen, when you realize that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, that's when you turn around and you say, Holy Spirit, Jesus bought the fact that you have sealed me. I'm not an orphan. I'm not an orphan. He said, I will not leave you orphaned. I will come to you. And he does that by the Holy Spirit. And my heart breaks for the Christian that has never yet experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the only reason why you haven't is because you still think you can make yourself better. You may believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And you may be even be born again. But you haven't died. You haven't surrendered fully to what he wants to do with your life. I wouldn't say this in any other context. But this. It's best to quit. It's best to quit as a believer and let him take control. It's best to surrender to Christ than to try to do it yourself. John chapter 16, verse 4. John 16, verse 4. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. That would make him the prophetic God. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, that's who the helper is, the Paracletos, will not come to you. But if I depart, did he? Yep. I will send him to you. And when he comes, or when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. You know he's doing that. You know he did that to you and me. 
And by the way, he still does it to us, his kids. But you know your neighbor who hates God and hates you and hates your bumper sticker and hates your Christian t-shirts and your Christian poodle or whatever you... Did you know? You know, one of the... Don't, don't think... Listen, the Holy Spirit's working on your neighbor. Did you know he's... You know, he's con- he convicts all people of sin. That's his job. He said, I don't know if that's true about Gavin Newsom. I don't, I don't, see, him, I don't see him looking convicted. Look, for Gavin Newsom's soul's sake, I, I love Gavin Newsom's soul. I, I can't stand his policies. They're dangerous. But, you know, Jesus loves him. And, and I'm commanded to love his soul. I want Gavin Newsom with me in heaven. So I can tell him I told you so. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know, if we imagine if we made him a focal point of our, our prayer for his redemption, what, what could happen? And with that, I... Totally, I don't even know where I left off on this. <laughs> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Um, help or not come to you, I will send them to you. Verse 8, and, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Wow. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you will see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler, that's a reference to Satan of this world. The ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. Watch everybody. This is why this is important. But you cannot bear them now. Mark that in your Bibles. Jesus said, I've got a lot of other things to tell you, but you can't handle it. The word bear, you can, you can barely function with what revelation I've given you now. He's saying, if I give you the full-blown story of it all, the, whole, the, the total mission... You couldn't handle it. You couldn't handle it right now. Watch what, look what his answer is. So great. He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Correct? Do you agree? Jesus said so. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That is awesome. The Holy Spirit is with you. To lead you and to guide you. Thirdly, church, under this point is, what are you going to do about Bible prophecy in verses 35 to 36? And that is regarding the fact that our security is guaranteed in Christ. Verse 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Oh my goodness. Listen to Paul. Granted, in church history, Paul was supposed to be a very petite, very odd looking human being. We don't know this from the Bible. We know this only from church history. He was not physically attractive. He was very petite. Uh, He had uh, bald head, hair in the back. He was famous for having eyes very, very tightly close together. And his nose was very much like a beak or a hooked nose. And he spoke. When he spoke, uh, though the content was from God, 
He was not easy to listen to. This is the great Paul the Apostle. That's why when in the scripture it's recorded that his speech is contemptible, but he's mighty in word. Oh, oh, on top of it, and he's bow-legged for spending so much time on horseback or camelback traveling for decades preaching the gospel. Beat up how many times? To the point where he was once killed and the spirit of God gave him life again? He was stoned to death. What did this guy look like? A shipwreck. And then he says, you want to follow Jesus? Can can you imagine? He's like, come and follow Christ. It's awesome. Why would you follow Christ? Because he makes it very clear. We're not of this world. We're not of this world. What Jesus does for us is not like this world. This world can guarantee you nothing. Buy gold, buy silver. I'm so sick of hearing that. Go ahead. The Bible says in the last days, right before Christ returns, everybody's going to buy gold and silver. Did you know that? It says in the Bible. Rosalind Gold. That's where I buy my, and then everybody's got their gold and gold company. I'm not knocking gold. God made it. He, but up in heaven, he makes streets out of it. It's, truck backs up instead of pouring asphalt it pours gold out and we we walk on it (laughs) isn't that great it's it's going to be amazing it's going to be great and God says in his word to us who shall separate us from the love of Christ you think Jesus is going to allow you to be separated from his love I want you to know that right now it's not based on it's not it's not based on how much you love him If that were the case, none of us are going. Aren't you you shocked? Listen, are you having a hard time believing that he loves you in the first place? I understand that, but you got to get over that. His nature is love. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sakes, we are killed all the day long. We are, account- we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I'll, I'll explain that in a moment here. Verse 35, this is what we learn about the security that's guaranteed to you and I as the believers. The fact that we no longer worry about the outcome of things. We leave it up to God. Understand that, people? Please listen. We're coming to a time, I'm not a prophet, I'm not prophesying anything, I got no inside information. But with all that's happening in our world right now and our, our horrific border situation and what's happening, God forbid, listen, stay up, clearly, stay out of Times Square in New York City. Do not go. When police are being attacked by illegal immigrants on, on, a, on a daily basis. This last week, Horrific. It's no longer safe. We're under attack. But what shall separate or who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. See, all of a sudden it's very quiet in here because, wait a minute, if God loves us, my understanding of love, if if God loves me, then nothing bad's going to happen in my life. Where'd you read that? Where did you find that? That is the gospel according to Oprah. That's not in the Bible. I'm serious. God's word prepares us for what's coming. 
And our nation has been going the wrong way for a long time. And we have forgotten God. And our nation must pay. It will pay. God makes that clear in his Bible. But we we need to understand something. You who trust Christ will never be separated from the love of God. It's not possible. It's impossible. By the way, the word separate or to be separated. The word means to divide in half or into sections. Listen to this. To make into parts or into pieces. What does that mean? In the negative, you cannot be made into pieces. Now, that may not matter to you right now, but brothers and sisters in Africa right now who are being cut up for being Christians, listen, every Sunday they face the danger of peril of death for going to church in Central and North North Africa. Did you know that? Then how beautiful does this verse come to their hearts and minds? Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. The meaning of this is also glorious in that the head, listen, the word means the head cannot be removed from the body. You say, Jack, wait a minute. That's not what I saw on YouTube. I'm not talking YouTube. Yeah, but somebody was beheaded for Jesus. I'm not talking about that. The hand cannot be removed from the arm. The feet cannot be removed from the legs. The body cannot be removed and be divided. So then what are you talking about? The person of who you are in Christ, the part of you that lives forever. Do you understand that if they behead you for being a believer, they can't actually behead you. So what are you talking about? I told you guys last week that we saw beheadings at the Israeli consulate, a bunch of pastors. I thought I'd take them on. No, I was invited to take them up to see the realities of October 7th. And but you have to understand something. There's a far different reality from your physical existence to your eternal and forever existence. And as a believer, you know that. You can go like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I know that, I know that. But a non-believer or somebody who's just religious, they don't get that. They're going, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's because you've never been born anew on the inside. You've never been born again. There's no real life inside of you. You, all you think about is the physical part. Oh my gosh, he died. Who died? My Christian friend died. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. You mean his body died? That's all. And God will even fix that in the resurrection. Remember that, friends. Secondly, it's this, everybody. We no longer seek to establish ourselves. Verse 36 says, As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. Quoting Psalm 44. Say, man, that's a weird statement. It is a weird statement until you understand it. Paul is quoting Psalm 44. And this is what he's announcing about it. That for, for following Christ, you actually know, you actually know the meaning of this, which maybe the Spirit of God already put it in your mind. For those of us who follow God, the word is announcing to us in the Old Testament, for your sake, that is God's sake, to follow Christ, we're killed all day long. Well, how can, how can you be killed all day long? You see, where, you see where I'm going with this? I hope it kind of dovetails into that challenge a moment ago about life in the flesh. It means that we daily pick up our what? cross and follow him. It means that we're not about to establish our empire. 
It's not about us establishing our thing. It's not about us living for us. It's all about him and for him. And only then is liberty and freedom. And only then is meaning and purpose. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Charles Spurgeon. As if we were only meant to be killed and made on purpose to be the victims or to be victims. As if it were as easy and as innocent a thing to slay us as to slaughter sheep. You think that's an old English way of saying, you think you can kill me? You think you can lay me down and remove my head from my shoulders or my hands from my arms or my feet from my legs? You can't kill me. You're only tampering with my body. Friends, this is real Christianity we're talking about here right now. Understanding that absolute reality of how we live and what's the world in which we live in. Frank Derek Kidner put it this way. A revolutionary concept to the Old Testament man or woman of God. That suffering may not be punishment, but a battle scar. I love this. The price of loyalty in a world which is at war with God. If that's the case, church, if that's the case, then I want to be scarred. If that's the association, you know, Paul the Apostle, he had the scars to prove his devotion and love for God. How many saints throughout all the age of the church for the last 2,000 years? Remember that scene in Jaws when they're on the boat and they're comparing scars? <laughs> Richard Dreyfus has got a, he got a hangnail or hurt. He got a little scratch here. And then the one guy, the, the captain of the boat rolls up his arm where he got bit by a shark or shot in the first world, whatever it was. And they're all comparing scars. They're rolling up their pant legs. They're rolling up their shirts. They're opening up their chest to show you the the incredible gash that he had in his arms or whatever. And all of the vibrato of all of that comes this little theologian man, Paul the Apostle. And you look at him and you say, man, what? You look like you were put into a blender and then reassembled. Who are you? And he says, my name is Paul. And I love the Lord Jesus. And the world hates him, but they really shouldn't because he died on the cross for their sins. He's absolutely wonderful. And he has shown me that what I'm living in this life is just but a battleground. It's a battlefield. And these are battle scars. I have a dear friend in Washington, D.C., General Jerry Boykin, one of the founding fathers of the U.S. Army Delta Force. And he looks very normal in his suit and tie. But his body is riddled and scarred to pieces from receiving everything up to a 50 caliber round that struck him in the armpit. 50 caliber can take down an airplane, friends. As a Christian, we're to have battle scars. You know what? 
I, I think about these precious ones that are fighting for the protection of children in the school board. They may not have scars on the outside, but they have scars on the inside. See, here's, listen, I'm going to encourage you. Here's the point. Do not die in this life without racking up some scars for Jesus. Okay, some, some people get tattoos and uh, they say certain things. And that's, that's, if you're into that, that's wonderful. Don't write me a letter and say, Pastor Jack, the Bible says, no, it's regarding, it's regarding Jewish people. Jewish people are not allowed to get a tattoo. If you're, if you're a Jew, you can't get a tattoo. That's what Paul, I mean, that's what Moses said. If you get a tattoo, Jesus loves me. And some, some people write me, did you know your worship leader's got Hebrew tattoo on their arm? <gasps> did you know that book of Revelation says that God is going to mark you, the believer, with his mark? Listen, not, not the mark of the Antichrist. In the, in the tribulation period, Jesus says, I'm going to mark those with my name. I'll put my name upon them. So here's, I'm not selling tattoos or anything. Here's just all I'm saying. People have marks. Some are visible and some aren't. Okay, right now I don't have any physical marks. Uh, Maybe you don't either. But this is a respite right now. You're in the sanctuary. And then you're going to go back home. And your husband's going to say, what did you learn today about your God? Hmm? And they've gotten their teenage kids to come against you and you're isolated in your own home. Or your family's ostracized you because you're now a Christian. Met someone this last weekend in Nashville who came to Jesus as Messiah out of Judaism and their family said to her, you're dead. You're, you're dead. As of this moment that you told us that you've become a follower of Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, we, are, we have now, as it were, had our, your funeral. You don't, you don't live to us anymore. And she lost it all. Scars. I'd rather wear them for Jesus. If they're visible or invisible. We also learn in verse 36 that we no longer want our way about life. We've learned that one. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Not not our will be done, but thy will, God, be done. Sheep. I highly recommend you read a book by Richard Wombrandt called um, Tortured for Christ. Small book, awesome book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wombrandt. It's in that book that Richard Wombrandt talks about a man who was an atheist in the Soviet empire. Richard Wombrandt was a Christian. He was thrown into prison for being a Christian and then another man was thrown into prison with him, his cellmate, but he was, a, he was a Marxist. He was a communist. But he asked the wrong question. He, 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 in the, in the, 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 the Soviet uh, Academy of Sciences, he, 
he said, I'm struggling with my research because I have concluded that a sheep, a lamb, sheep, cannot live without humans. But in our evolutionary story, doesn't fit. According to evolution, sheep existed before humans. And when we study the domestication argument that we put forward, it doesn't work. Sheep have to have human care and love or they die. And the guy was expressing a concern as an atheist. That thought was so dangerous, they arrested him and they put him in Siberia and he died in that prison camp. And Richard Wombrandt wrote about it, his cellmate. Think about that. Sheep cannot live without a shepherd's love. Isn't it wonderful that God calls us the sheep of his pasture? He didn't say the alligator. He didn't say the monkey. Sheep. We don't want our way with life anymore. We've come to that place of surrender. It's true. Listen, it looks like we're outnumbered. It feels like we're dying. It sounds like we're losing. It seems like we're alone. But God is with us. John 6, verse 65 665, and Jesus said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They gave up. Are you guys listening? We're almost done. They gave up. They quit. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? You guys want to leave with the crowd? Everybody's getting offended at what I'm saying. You guys want to go too? Everybody wants to go live an easy life and live for themselves. You want to leave? God bless Peter. I love this guy. We all love him. Somehow Peter represents each and every one of us on any given day of the week. But here it was his moment. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If Peter ever had a mic drop moment, it's that one right there. Where do we go? Jesus, you guys want to leave? Everybody else is leaving. They're all upset about what I'm saying. There's the door. And Peter, (laughs) well, where do we go? I mean, come on, Jesus. We've been listening to you. You're, You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. Nope, we're staying right here. Wow. Psalm 138, verse 8. This is for us. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Guess what? It has a New Testament counterpart. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will get you into heaven. Fourth and final argument is this. The fact is your suffering is only a tool. The suffering you and I are going through right now or shall endure. Are you guys awake? It's only a tool. The pain, the sorrow, the hurt, everything. Listen, if it causes you to suffer as a believer, you're a Christian and you're going through suffering of any sorts in this life, even if it's by dumb choices on your part, God even takes your dumb choices 
I can understand suffering for preaching the gospel or suffering for being a witness at work. But even if you're suffering for some dumb thing you did, God will even take that and redeem it so you learn something out of it and everything becomes a tool. For us, the Christian, what are you going through? That pain, is it causing you concern, heartache and pain? It's a tool. Didn't Michelangelo pick up a hammer? Well, the same time he picked up a hammer, he picked up a chisel. Did he not have a marble rock? Did he not craft David out of that rock? God's doing the same thing with you. Suffering allows us to rise above what's going on. Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More. The word conquerors means this, an overwhelming victor. A warrior, having been victorious in battle. To the Christian, God is saying, standing over the enemy. God says, you're standing over the enemy. You understand that? All of the stuff that's going on, we're standing over the enemy. Listen, why are we tiptoeing around? When the world does and says what it does, why do we draw back? We're supposed to stand up and say, wait a minute, you will not pass this line. You will not touch our kids. You will not do this thing. This is a very, very serious and wonderful time to be a Christian. Suffering allows us to rise above. 1 Peter 4.1 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You know what that means? It means that whatever has gone on in your life, sin, listen, please get this. When you suffer, sin becomes less attractive. Why? Because the workings of sin or the workings of suffering go so deep that you can turn and laugh at temptation. The people I have known who have suffered the most are the people I want to hang out the most with. No frills, no junk, no hype, no glitter. What I I would call just belly-to-belly relationship. Nothing between us. And you know, when you're with such people, the conversation is always about Christ. It's always about God. It's always about his word. It's always about him. It's awesome. Suffering prepares us for what is about to come. Verses 38 and 39. Suffering prepares us. Write it down. We're almost done. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Suffering prepares us for what's to come. You know, listen, um, to some level or degree, all of us, I think, right? Do they even have PE, physical ed in school anymore? (laughs) No, no, I'm not. I'm not joking. Do they have it in public school? Okay. I didn't know that. That's good. Back in my day, remember guys, remember us old timers who had to do the presidential fitness award thing? Remember that? I, that's now considered child abuse, I'm certain. Remember that? You had to do so many push-ups, you had to do so many sit-ups, you had to run so fast. You got a little patch. That was normal, man. So, it doesn't matter though what it is, I... I didn't know this, but we have a world-renowned, world-famous weightlifter, competition weightlifter here that attends this church. He's he's major in the universe. 
Uh, and as, that's what I said. It's like, wow. And I, in fact, I didn't know this. So when he said hi in the courtyard, uh, the poor guy, he was trying to hide his muscles, doing the best he can. And I said, he, he, I, I walked up to him, actually, and I said, you know, you ought you to try working out sometime. You and he laughed like you. And then I found out later, he's like, wow, really? And, but, but how do you think he got like that? How do you think, listen, people put themselves to it and through it. And there's a goal in sight. God is telling us, spiritually speaking, that the suffering is our workout. Instead of some of us getting on the treadmill, sometimes we're put on the battlefield at your company or in your calling or whatever it might be. And you don't lose heart in this, people. You can't. Suffering prepares us for what is about to come. I got a flavor of what is about to come, I guess. Not too sure if I'm actually allowed to fly to Washington, D.C. any longer on a no-fly list. Um, I, yeah, well, come visit me in jail. Don't clap. Just visit me in jail, but, but pray. So, um, yeah, so I create, uh, you guys know, I, I shared with you last week. Was it last week or last year? <laughs> Prayed in Congress a couple weeks ago. Didn't go, didn't go. Was it what? What? Oh, I thought he said, gray hair. <laughs> yes. I'm only 29. This is what ministry will do to you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So um, let me show you the first page. Um, so you see all that? The undersigned members, undersigned, undersigned. Members right to express our concern about Speaker Johnson's sponsorship of Pastor Jack Hibbs. And they went on to crucify House Speaker Mike Johnson and me. Um, I didn't know. I'll sign autographs later, I guess. I didn't know that I helped start January 6th riot. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know I hate Muslims. Found out that I do. Did you know I hate Jews? I didn't know that. Did you know that I hate LBGTQ, LMNOP, throw it all? I'm a, I'm a huge hater. Next page. Oh, that's just one page. Okay. I'm not fit to offer a prayer, it says in there. Oh, by the way, the, the atheist who wrote this said, I'm not fit to offer a prayer. <laughs> exactly. I found this. I'm going to frame this. I'm, not, I'm framing this. This is for entertainment purposes. An atheist says, he's not fit to pray. I found that hilarious. Oh, but that's, there's another page. So these are the, um, these are those who, this is great. We're seeing this right now on a screen, but uh, it's been uploaded to heaven. God has it also. Right? So, 
What's funny is the next page. And Ilan Omar, the, the woman... <laughs> The woman who systematically talks America down and has no concept idea whatsoever of our Judeo-Christian founding, has never read the Mayflower Compact day in her life. But these have all condemned me. I'm not allowed back. I think that's it. Is there another page or is that it? That, that should be it. So, so here's the thing. Now, look, honestly, this is easy stuff. What's, what's going to happen to me? Uh, this, is, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to probably be investigated by the IRS. Okay, but listen, for the record, I owe no taxes. I pay all my taxes. I've never been late on my taxes. Okay, the other thing is this. If they accuse me of, you think it up. Um, I don't have a Cayman bank account. I don't, I, um, uh, I, 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 listen, true, listen. I used to be heavily involved in the pornographic world and I got saved on June 20th, 1977. I can tell you this, there's been no porn in my life since June 19th, 1977. My life has been totally clean. Uh, I've been sleeping with the same woman for 46, 45 years. A long time. Uh, if you're a police officer, run my license plates. You'll find out that uh, there's nothing there. I, I want to get out ahead of the power of these, what these people have. And then, and then to make it, yeah, uh, it, it, the next thing is uh, to be swatted. I was told by a congressman, watch out. Don't be surprised if you're swatted. So I want it all out now publicly to the world. That's what happened was I prayed a Christian prayer and atheists didn't like it. And... <laughs> And, I'm, and here's the funny thing. What I just told you, it's a joke compared. No, no. I'm not suffering. It's, oh, poor Jack. They didn't beat me up. They didn't hang me. Are you hearing me? I'm not, I haven't resisted evil to the point of death. Listen, suffering now is preparing us. And we end with this. Verse 39. He wonderfully says, that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That means suffering ends the moment we see Jesus. You understand that? Church family, it's very, very good news. Let's all stand. Father, we pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, almighty God, that you would prepare us as we walk out of these doors, we go into a world that you already know about, and Father, we are your instruments to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He forgives sins. He wants all to come to him. And we, Lord, being your ministers, may we give them the truth. We pray, Father, for our nation. We pray for our state. I pray for these families. And I ask you, Lord, to baptize us in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might live for Jesus in this amazing age and time. All the while, all the more, we're actually lights and shining armor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.